Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. We are here one more time on the Brandon and Evan Show. For Not So Serious Sunday. Not So Serious. Where anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Crazy voices. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's not that unpredictable, but cats could be running around. Yeah? Yeah. If you heard that, that was Charlie. He wants the, to get in on this one. The studio. The studio pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Just bring it there. I'm. <laughs> we're, we're getting this one crazy already. Well, my cat did get a new climbing post, so, you know. He's pumped about that. Is he? Mm-hmm. Seems more inclined with the couch these days. Yeah. But so, anyhow. Anyway, um, I don't know. What's new this week, my man? I don't know. You know, I've been, um, you know, our last talk we had with Gabe, and that's been, that's been on my mind. I've been telling people, you know, it's like, oh, this is a great one. Like, <laughs> like you got to listen to this. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I, in terms of just some stuff that I've seen and whatever, I, I watched The Artist, finally. Oh, yeah. I've been like, waiting to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we can't really talk about it, because <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. No, but it was but a good movie. It was It was very good. Mm. It was, um, you know, like, it was, it was deserving of the title, absolutely. Um, and the, the fact that it got made, to me, is extraordinary, because it is a silent film. Like it's end to end a silent film. Like there's, there's musical scoring to all of it, but there's no, you you hear absolutely no dialogue in it. So the, the performances are, are really extraordinary. Um, you know, it was one of those movies that when I, when I got to the end of it, it's like, you know, is this like subjectively, is this like, Oh yes. Like this is like, I absolutely love this movie. No, but there's a part of me that's just like, I love this movie because it just got made Hmm. that something like this got support. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you watch the, you know, the opening credits, like there's just so many people that were involved with, with getting it done, you know, like a whole international sort of community of studios, um, including the, uh, the Weinstein company, but there's, there was a ton of other ones that are up in that, but you know, that, that so many people saw something in this script or in this vision yeah. of how this is going to be. And, and they shot it so extraordinarily too. Like they shot it like an old movie, huh. you know, like all these old sort of tricks and lighting and it's great. Just watch it. Okay. Just watch it. <laughs> it's, it's a unique experience. Absolutely. Well, it seems like it was a big risk to get it made and yet it did clean up at the Oscars when it, when it was, uh, it's year, what, well, two or three years ago? It was just so, you know, like it, there's literally nothing that you could compare it to, you know? And as far as like, whether you, you thought it was, I can't remember what it was up against that year in terms of nominations at Oscars and, you know, golden globes and all of that stuff. But it, it inarguably probably the most original film yeah. That came out that year. Huh. Very cool. <laughs> so that's 
So that's well, me just talking about a movie that you haven't seen, and you're like, well, I can't really say anything because... I wish I could join in. <laughs> but it's up on Netflix, so... Yeah, yeah, it's been on my queue for a while. I've been meaning to watch it. You know, it's one of those movies that's like... Every time I think to watch it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be kind of an investment. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not even a full two hours. Oh, no? Like, it's like an hour and 45 minutes, so... Oh, yeah, that's good. You know, and it actually moves, moves at a really nice pace. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I pulled out, uh, I pulled out, um, Silence of the Lambs, actually, because, uh, we were talking about some of the scenes in it at a, yeah. at a social event I was at. And I, I, I don't remember if you and I mentioned it or not earlier, but yeah. And I just, I was like, yeah, you know, like my memory is really foggy of it. I need to go back and watch it. And I, I mean, it must have been like a decade at least since I've seen that movie, you know, so I'm not, it wasn't fresh in my mind, but just rewatching it. And it's, it's really like for a, it's, it's kind of a suspense thriller. I mean, kind of with horrific elements, but it's not a horror. It's not in that, but it's really masterful the way it's done. I mean, there's so many ways in which it's, it's, um, kind of not giving away what's really going on. And, um, putting, you know, in the way that kind of the characters are put into the story, it's, it's very well backed up. It's very natural. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it has a little bit, there's a, there's a little bit of, uh, actually on this watch, what I was noticing was some things that I guess would only really happen in like, it was made in the nineties, right? Like, well, I feel like it, it was maybe the eighties. Oh, was it the eighties? It was the eighties. Oh, okay. I, I could be wrong, but well, you could always search it's that interesting up, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> maybe while I'm well, talking here, I'm going to check out because I'd like to know. I'd actually like to know what year it was made. 1991. Oh, okay. You were right. Yeah, 1991. So it still has a couple of those, like, you know, things that, like, that happened in 90s movies, like the guy that's kind of, like, guarding the prison cell that Hannibal's in, Hannibal Lecter, is kind of, like, a little bit, like, I don't know. He's kind of sleazy, but it's a little bit on the nose, you know, whatever. But right. for the most part, the movie is, is, is just really brilliant. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to go back and watch these movies and, and remember that like, there's a reason why movies like that stand up for so long is because the story and the structure of it is like just really good. And like at, at that time when that was made, it was super original. Now, I mean, everybody kind of copies that movie. Yeah. You know, so it's, it almost but I mean, seems, I, I still feel like nobody's ever done it. No, that's the good. funny thing. I mean, the best thing that I've seen, maybe that's the, the closest resembling is actually something that's within the, the sort of the lore of the Hannibal Lecter, which is, um, red dragon, right. Which I thought was a really impeccable thriller yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I remember seeing, because I saw, saw silence of the lambs for the first time when I was, a teenager. I was in high school and, you know, I remember thinking it was creepy and then I saw it was on TV or something like that. And I stayed on it for, for a few moments. And it was like one of the scenes between Hannibal and Clarice. And I just went like, Ugh, like it was creepy. <laughs> it was creepier now. Like it felt yeah. creepier now than when I first watched it as a kid, yeah. which is, you know, I, I think there is a degree of maturity that is to that, like helps like a lot of what's going on to sink in, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause to me it was just like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's this guy who's a cannibal. Yeah. 
you know, like that was kind of it for me. And then he was the story. And then the whole Buffalo Bill side was just almost like a side piece to it. But then once you get into like the whole psychology and what he's doing to Clarice and his whole performance in that in general, you're just like, Ugh, yeah, Ugh. yeah, totally. <laughs> it just gives you the, it just gives you the creeps, man. It has a, it has a surprising sense of realism to it. Like, uh, also when she's looking at the news articles and stuff like that and reviewing the case, there's one article that's like, um, Hannibal Lecter, like fed someone to his guests or whatever. And it's like, I was kind of like watching the movie. I think when I was younger, you know, I don't know. I watched that movie. I didn't really kind of really stop to take it all in. But this time I was taking it all in and I was thinking like, you know, like that's that, like that, that happens like Robert Picton and all that yeah. stuff, you know, like it's like, Ooh. it's so crazy, right? Like this stuff, this, and you know, you think like, like, and just the, the there's actually a certain kind of realism to the, um, to the, to the serial killers and, and all this stuff in this movie. It's yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones. It's like, kind of like, you're like, this is really like really well done because it's actually kind of scary without needing to try to scare me with like s- jumps or anything yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. It's just one of those m- movies that just, just crawls right under your skin. Yeah. You know, the shining was like that mm-hmm. as well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it, and it's funny, like even in that, the Hannibal Lecter, there's, there's sometimes I found that there's this cheeky sort of comedy, this dark comedy that's in it, because I think it was in Red Dragon, you see, like, a scene at the beginning, where he's having this dinner party, and has all these guests, and I still remember this, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but he's serving up, like, you know, dinner and wine, everybody's having a great time, and, and this woman asks him, she's like, Hannibal, you must tell me what, what this is, right? Like, and he says to her, it's like, I'm afraid that if I told you, you wouldn't even try it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. everyone has a big laugh about it. But right. it's like, you know, us as the audience are in on this joke. We're just like, oh, no. Yeah. But it's still like this weird joke. Yeah. It's, that's it's, in it. it. You know, there's a, I don't remember if it's Red Dragon or if it's in the first one. I, I'm forgetting now. But uh, is uh, the part with the, the, he's on the plane and a little kid asks him what he's eating and he's actually cutting up a brain and yeah. And he's just like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like, um, his, like his whole, like he's just, it's, he's very, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but they really got those characters down. Like in a way that just kind of makes you go like, this could be happening and no one really knows it's happening in a way. You know what I mean? Or if someone like this existed, like that was this intelligent and, and willing to do these types of things and totally psychopathic. Yeah. You know, but a, but a brilliant, a brilliant, um, psychologist. Yeah. Or was he a psychiatrist? I always get those confused. Psychiatrist, because uh, you can give all right, people, you can give people meds. meds. Yeah. That's right. And if you're listening to this and you're an actor and you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, what Anthony Hopkins is, is oh, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Like it's, I think you want an Oscar for, for that performance, didn't I, he? I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And I, if he didn't, then he deserved one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one that people refer to all the time. Yeah. And it's one of those ones that people almost don't want to take on in class because it's hard to, it's hard to even, you know, like you're always going to be kind of compared to it, right? It's such an iconic mm-hmm. performance that it's like, you know, how are you going to do it 
I mean, I guess you could like, you just never say never, but to try and put your own stamp on something like that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I don't know, like, I guess, you know, at the time they call the movie, they call him a psychopath in the movie, but he might be actually like a sociopath, which is someone who's, who had empathy at one point, but kind of like lost it at a very early age, you know? And so then they have a sadistic nature. Um, it's hard to tell, but, uh, there's one thing I noticed when he's in his cell and he's looking at Clarice, his eyes are so wide open and he like never blinks and he's just like looking at her. And it's like, it's this really scary thing. And they say, um, you know, that psychopaths, sociopaths, it's a very common, common thing. So, you know, that there's this kind of this weird way in which they look at you, you know, when someone look like, and, and you probably had this experience because they say like, what is it? one in 25 or one in 20 people are sociopathic or psychopathic. So you run across kind of someone who's got this going on. They're not all bad. They're not all to kill you or anything. Yeah. <laughs> they have a weird way. Like they look at you and you're like, that's odd. Like you don't, you're not, you're not picking up the cues over here with the way you're looking. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. they're looking into you like in a way that's like not, you know, like most people, if they sense there's a sense of like awkwardness or you're not comfortable, they'll kind of like relief a little Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and he just, he, he just, just nails does. it. You don't know whether you can trust him or not. No. And that whole thing. Um, great. Yeah. So we've covered the artists a little bit. <laughs> we've covered silence of the lambs. We're on, actually, well, yeah, we're just doing, I, I, I was, as we were going, I'm like, Oh, this is like the whole idea of revisiting something. Uh, I was, you know, I've been doing some, uh, some spring cleaning <clears throat> around the house going through like old storage bins and stuff and just getting rid of all kinds of crap. Yeah. And I found a bunch of stuff from high school. I found a script that I wrote in high school for like my writing directing course. Wow. And also, um, some of my old like scripts, like guys and dolls stuff that we did, like plays that we did in in school. And it was really interesting looking back on them. Uh, you know, the script was, the script was garbage like that I wrote. Like it was, I mean, it had, it had pretty good, pretty good dialogue, pretty natural, but it was, it was like, Oh man, just riddled with, just riddled with cliches. It was was like, if you took like any coming of age, like movie and you just smashed them all together, that seemed to be what it was. Um, but you know, it, 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 it was funny because the story also, was still a, like a reflection of the place I was at in my life too. I was just like, Oh wow, this was actually quite personal. Yeah. Like in terms of like what was going on, like with these characters in this story or whatever, as kind of horrible as it, <laughs> as it was <laughs> executed, you know, like I was just like, Oh wow. Like I still, like there was a lot that, that was in it. I still got, I still tossed it. You know, did you, you tossed I it? I did. I tossed it. I, I, I feel, you know, I used to feel weird about that sort of thing. Like wow. about, um, same thing. I had like a, like a painting or something that I did in art, art class too, that I'd been kept to the side and tossed it. I took a picture of it, you know, but then got rid of it because, you know, it's one of those things like, does it bring you joy anymore? Mm. It's like, no, yeah, that doesn't really bring me any kind of joy to, to look at this. And I feel like as someone who's created, I, I also ha- am able to destroy it too, if I want. Hmm. You know, it's like, if it doesn't serve me in any way, I'm not going to look back on it again. I'm not going to put it up on the wall or I'm not going to learn my lessons from it or redraft it. Uh, then I'm just hanging on to it 
needlessly. <laughs> it was interest. Like, I'm glad that I stumbled upon it and got to see it again. Um, but also looking at some of the old scripts, like looking at my old guys and dolls script. And it was interesting because it made me realize that just like how far I've come as an actor. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm looking at these lines that were in it. And I mean, I was the, I was the lead role in it. And, and while I couldn't, I, I couldn't, you know, recite all of them off the top of my head, looking at it, but reading all of the lines again, I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember saying these. I remember saying all of these. And the thing was, is like, and I remember how I said each and every <laughs> single line because that's where I was, you know? And, and I was just like, you know what? Like it's realizing, you know, what my thoughts were at that time about what acting was. Right. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm going to rehearse and learn my lines and I'm going to figure out the way that I think the best way to say this is. Right. Right. And, you know, to, I would say, I guess to my credit, like, you know, I was, I was pretty good. Like I was, I was a good mimic. I was pretty like clever (laughs) as we talked about in a few podcasts ago, which is like, now I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like I was just very clever at, you know, kind of faking these, faking these things Mm -hmm. and realizing that, you know, when I was, when I was early in my acting, like through high school and even like just outside before I'd even started getting into, you know, classes outside of that realm, you know, everything was just for show. Mm -hmm. Everything was like any sort of emotion that I was affecting on stage. It was something that was completely, that was completely, you know, um, contrived on my part it was just like, okay, like, yeah, it's, it's based on an understanding of what's happening. It's like, I understand, you know, the, some of the emotions that are probably happening here, but then it became this thing that, you know, I was just doing. It was like, uh, I would, you know, do things like that would make it look like I was sad or, or whatever, you know, I was, uh, and, and then remembering when my first experience was in acting where I actually felt an emotion Hmm. in a scene and how, how mind blowing that was for me (laughs) at that time. You know, it's like, I mean, at at this point, I mean, yes, it was just in high school. I mean, like I had, I'd won a bunch of awards. I I got scholarships like for, you know, fine arts and, and acting and stuff like that. You know, I got a bunch of things thrown at me, you know, for what I did, but I'm just like, Whoa, <laughs> looking back because I did, I could remember. It's like, I planned how I was going to say each and every single line. Right. Yeah. Very controlled. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, we do, we come a long way. It's, uh, you know, I was thinking about you throwing away the script that I was thinking, well, I don't throw away any of my scripts because I always think like, it's good to look back and see where I was. Like it's a document of, it's like a journal yeah. and it's also a reference to like where I've come from. But, uh, I mean, I get your point. I get it. I think, um, it's interesting though with that, with the acting, like, you know, there's, there's probably people like, oh yeah, that's obvious. And there's probably other people listening who are like, no, isn't it like that? You know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting how far you, how far you come and like, you know, I think you were in high school, you're getting scholarships moving forward and you didn't even know what you're doing. And this is, kind of what's taught in a way, you know, like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I loved it. I lived for it, like to, to act. And 
you know, I was, you know, I, I think I did some things very, very well, actually some things that, you know, obviously got me a certain, like it got me so far, you know, like it was, but there were certain things, uh, ideas that I had about acting that were limiting me at that point, which is, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Cause I mean, if you just knew it all, then what's the point? Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to, to, to look at all of that and just to see, to gauge that. And, but yeah, I mean, I get, in, as far as the script goes, you know, I, I know a lot of people say, it's like, oh, you should hold on. Like, I mean, you created that, you, you, you did that and, and that was where you were. And, and I, it's, I don't think that there's any right or wrong about it. Like if you still get something out of it, you know, if there, if there's something that you're, you're still learning and pulling from in old material, then sure. Absolutely. Hold on to it. For me, I didn't feel the need to hold on to it. It's like, I'm like, okay, you know what? I saw this again. I, I had kept it all of these years, you know, I could, because I felt it was worthwhile. And at this moment I looked at it and I flipped through it and I was just going, Oh yeah, I remember writing this. And it was like, Ooh, yeah. Like, <laughs> ugh, you know, cringing at some parts and being like, Oh, that was kind of funny, you know, or whatever. And I see what I was, I was doing there. Okay, cool. All right, I'm done. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to reflect on this anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. To, like, it's good to let go of the past. You know, it's interesting. I mean, just talking about letting go of the past, I don't know, like, um, like a few years ago, there was like some challenging things that happened in my life. And, uh, you know, I started to kind of shut myself inside a bit and I had a lot of boxes and I had a lot of stuff around my place and I wasn't sure if I was going to live where I was living. And I kept being like, yeah, I'm going to move. I'm going to move. But then I wouldn't really make the move. I'd kind of just stay. So my place was kind of like half moved in but kind of like half living in. And and this went on for a while. And what I kind of realized was I was actually just feeling pretty down. I was kind of depressed, whatever. And, um, uh, I had kind of carved these paths in my place. I mean, it wasn't like a hoarder necessarily, but it kind of looked like it in a sense, because I just had boxes, like things were just not unpacked, you know? And so I just had boxes in certain places. And, uh, I remember I had a friend over and they were like, okay, you know, you need to make a decision. Are you going to live here? Or are you going to move or whatever? And, and what I realized what had me stuck was I was actually really stuck in the past. There was things in the past I didn't want to let go of, but I didn't necessarily want to look at. I didn't want to just didn't want to deal with it. And I realized at one point that I was just surrounded by the past and it was kind of almost, it was limiting my life in the moment and it was limiting kind of my future. And I basically just started going through things and I started getting rid of stuff and I started like, you know, letting go of things. And also, um, I think when you get rid of stuff, there's kind of a faith that something's going to replace it. So yeah, in that respect, I get it. I mean, it's like, for example, you know, I had a bunch of shirts that I didn't love, you know, they were good shirts, but I didn't love them. And, yeah. and when I would put them on, I'd be like, ah, okay, I guess I'll wear this shirt or whatever today. And so there is a, there is a, I think it's a point of, it's kind of courageous in a sense, like throwing away a script or doing something like that. Um, anything really, or getting rid of it or giving it to someone else is like <clears throat> to say, okay, I'm going to get rid of all these shirts and I might not have any shirts, 
but I'm going to replace the shirts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like keep one so that you can go and buy new shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't walk in there without a shirt. But um, yeah, I mean, like, what is this Venice Beach? <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because I think I shared a few podcasts ago. Like there's some scripts that I wrote a long time ago, and and uh, you know, some of them were. I mean, I guess some of them are crap, and some of them are pretty good. But thing is, is that, I found that I never really, I wasn't always able to see it. So I'm glad I never threw them out because there was kind of a, sometimes this weird kind of truthful brilliance in them, even though I didn't know what I was doing as yeah. a writer, you know, it's just because I think sometimes when you don't know, you end up, you know, if you're willing to be vulnerable and open enough to write, I don't know why in this particular case I was, I'm not sure, but, um, you pull something back from the past and you're like, wow, this is really, really something. Um, also, I think like, you know, it's not for me, it's, uh, for me, I look at, I look at the past too, like just aside from scripts and everything is that once you've kind of like, once you don't, you know, you don't, uh, feel anything like about it, like you kind of don't, you know, you've kind of either forgiven it or let it go, you know, in either, or like, for example, if something, someone, whatever hurt you in the past, it's really important to just like forgive that. You know what I mean? Because otherwise these things will kind of like come and haunt your current day. And the other thing too, is if you had glory in the past is you got to let that go just as much. And that's part of the forgiveness of that because glory in the past can hold you just as much as pain from the past. Oh yeah. I mean, if Napoleon dynamite (laughs) has taught us anything through that uncle's (laughs) character, (laughs) could have won state. (laughs) (laughs) Throw the football over that mountain. (laughs) (laughs) And if you haven't seen Napoleon dynamite and you're on the other end of this, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Just talk about a bizarre cult classic, but brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You might not think so on the first watch. <laughs> I know it's so weird, so cool at the same time. But yeah, no, it's it's um, you know it's important to learn from the past, but I mean you can't live there. No, you know you can't. You just can't. Like it's it's actually impossible to do. So you know it's. I think use like but yeah it it I, it's tricky. You know when we come to to this thing, I think it's it's um important because I know that you, you've kept a lot of your stuff, you know, and, and I still, I still have a lot of, you know, stuff that I, I do keep, but it's like, does this, you know, does this serve me anymore? Does this bring me any kind of, kind of joy anymore? Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't, I, th- I think you shouldn't feel bad with, about getting rid of something, you know, that you've created. You can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if painters always just kept all of their work because they couldn't, to be apart from it, then I don't know what kind of careers they would have. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, you know, I've kind of confronted that idea too. Like what if my studio and all that stuff, like what if it all burned down? You know what I mean? God forbid, but <laughs> it did like, and I, I lost all this stuff, you know, would that really be so terrible? And, and, in in and that kind of exercise is good because you start to realize, yeah, like that, and actually Gabe, who was on the last uh, call there, he, he said to me at one point, he said, yeah, you know, you're infinitely creative. Like you're going to create so much stuff. Like, you know, just think of this stuff as like, this is this one thing that you created and, and everything that you create only opens the door for you to be better. Really? Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, you know, it, 
it, it doesn't, it, I, I'm not my things. I'm not my creations. I'm not whatever. And I think that it's important to be free of them. Like, especially if you want to keep them, because I think we can get surrounded by stuff, you know? Um, granted, I mean, I have, you know, looking around my place, I mean, I have so many books and stuff, you know, just so many, I have to have like four or five shelves, <laughs> five now, six shelves <laughs> of books, right? Five. What is this? The count? <laughs> five, six <laughs> shelves. <laughs> How <laughs> many <laughs> shelves <laughs> you want? But no, um, but the thing is, is, you know, if I lost those books, it's fine. You know, I've read them. I have the knowledge, but it's like, it's nice to be able to pull out a book and refer to something that I read. And I've heard of, um, like really great authors and really great storytellers and stuff saying things like, I know the page number of the reference point of the book that I'm referring to when I'm talking to you about this, because they, I think they truly, you know, most of the people who I really truly, truly respect have mentors and they remember the day their mentor told them the thing. They remember the page in the book they read it because it wasn't just something they, you know, it was something that was important to them, you know, it was something that mattered. And so whether the book's gone or not, you know, the thing is, is that, that there's this memory, right? Like for example, in that book, um, the, uh, the war of art, yeah, there's a chapter called fear, you know, and it's, uh, I think it's like hundred, it's like, one page 149 or something. I, don't know. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I don't know. I might, the number might be wrong, but I've commonly pulled out this chapter and I've read it to people out loud because I remember when I read it, I remember where it was. I remember the time of day. I remember everything that was going on because when it hit me, it hit me so hard. I was like, that is absolutely true. And basically what it's saying in my opinion is that <clears throat> you, you know, you have fear, but when you start facing your fear, you're going to grow and you're going to evolve and you're going to lose friends. And that's a scary thing. So we don't want to do it. We don't want to lose these friends. So in many ways we kind of keep fear around, but it's like, if you don't, it's like you're, you know, you'll make new friends, you'll make better friends. And at the end of the line, it says, do you believe me? And I remember when I finished that chapter and I was like, yes, I do, because it's true. Like, and not everybody you start the journey with is going to be there at the end. And I think this is the thing about the past. You know, sometimes we're hanging on to things that were there, but they're not anymore, but it's not a problem. It's, it's okay. It's not like, like if they wanted to stay where they were and you wanted to grow or you needed to grow or they needed to grow or whatever needed to happen everything needed to go the way it needed to go. Yeah. And everybody's okay. You know, you don't need to like cling back to this time when it was good. Just remember it positively as whatever and move on. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons, you know, this, this kind of occurred to me, I'm sure this has been said by somebody else at some point in time as most (laughs) other think most things have been, but I was thinking about, you know, what is it? Why is it that we cling so hard to, to the past? Why is it that our minds so often go there and, and we seek nostalgia and, you know, to a degree, I think that it's because I think it's because we, we knew that we got through it. You know, there's a safety in the past for us. It's just like, you know what? Like it was, I was uncertain then, but I know that I made it through. Hmm. So like, there's, there's that uncertainty isn't there because the past you already know, Mm. you know, whereas like the future is the unknown, which we talk about so much. Right. But you know, as, as 
an artist or as a creator, I mean, the unknown is that's the place that you have to live. Yeah. Like to embrace the unknown. Yeah. You kind of got to let go of things. You know, there's a movie I watched the other night, um, called, um, man up and it's, uh, on Netflix right now. It's a comedy. It's like a British comedy, I think. Well, not really. It kind of translates to North American just as much, but, um, and I don't know the name of the actress off the top of my head, but she did such a great job. You're going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. She did such a great job in this movie. I mean, the whole movie was just really great, but the, the writing of the story and everything was so good because you have these two characters. I'll just give you the basic premise. She's a single woman who's like 34 and, um, at a train station, there's a blind date that she ends up basically being confused for the girl. And she decides to to pretend she is the girl. Right. Lake Bell. Lake Bell is her name. Lake Bell. Simon Pegg was in there as well. Simon Pegg. Yeah. Oh, this looks great. Yeah. I have seen this one up there. Well, it's rated like four and a half stars or something right now. It's, it's, uh, it's great. And, um, their, their characters are so flawed. They have so much stuff going on in their past. And like, and it's like this kind of like this romantic comedy, but it's got like, it's got like the heart and the drama and like the, I mean, it's goofy. There's goofy things, but but it kind of, there's these scenes like where I was watching her and there's this one scene where she's in the washroom, right? And everything's kind of whatever. There's just some trouble has occurred, right? And she's in the washroom, she's alone and she's looking in the mirror and she's kind of cleaning herself up and she's trying to like get herself ramped up, you know, to smile, to like go out there and be okay. But the amount of emotion that's going on underneath the surface was just like so much depth. Yeah. And, and you know, there is nothing like yet. The, the movie has this great commercial appeal. There was nothing really commercial about that. It was just, and, and I, and I, I mean, I'm not a woman in my mid thirties, so I don't know that particular struggle, but I can, I could try it on. I can understand it, but I do know what it's like to be somebody that maybe doesn't feel good enough and has something that they want that didn't work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when she was doing, I was like, I was being emotional. I was, I was emotionally affected by this performance. And what I really liked about this movie was I wouldn't say that I never, I wouldn't say I went as far as like crying in it, but I, but I was laughing at one moment and feeling tremendous joy and another moment feeling this great depth of humanity. And I'm like, whenever a movie does that, I'm like, bravo. I mean, that's, that was a great watch. And it was interesting because when I started watching it, I'm like, Oh, okay, let's see if this movie's any good. And then just got into it. And there's a certain point where I was like, I want to watch another movie like that. Like right now, I just, I want, and I don't want it to end. I was having such a good experience. (laughs) Sounds like the dramedy. (laughs) It is like a dramedy. We've talked about the dramedy before. I would say it's more comedy, but it, but it, but it it has the elements of a dramedy very, you know, it's a little more comedy than dramedy, so to speak, because I'd say dramedy, the reason, a like, trauma. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well a, dr- a, a dramedy is actually more of a quote-unquote trauma. The reason why is because a dramedy has to actually touch on really like um, difficult events. Like, yeah. for example, Juno's a dramedy because it's talking about teen pregnancy. You know what I mean? Which is a kind of a 
touchy issue, whereas yeah. this is just about dating, so it doesn't actually hit dramedy. But it did. It yeah. kind of honored that dramedy style, even though it was just about a blind date. Yeah. It didn't have that big social issue. Well, underneath. you know, it's it's really, it's about being truthful. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're saying something truthful, then your audience will will connect to it. And I mean, and, and tell a great story. Mm-hmm. Tell a great story. Yeah. You know, I love that, you know, Gabe, you know, <clears throat> reinforced that in the, in the last yeah. week, you know, it's like from his end to be just like, still comes down to a great story. Yeah. Have a great script. You know, I, um, uh, there was, uh, I recently saw, um, a short film that I had, I had very small participation in, uh, they had released this and, um, you know, I, I felt that the script was not quite there. Um, when, when I had first read it, but they, you know, they shot it, they shot this, it was a short film. And, you know, for me, it was like, there was the, it was a film that they had an idea technically of how they wanted to film it. And then the story was kind of like, it was like they, they just used a story to try and like, like fit to, to, fit the needs of the technical way in which they wanted to, to shoot it. And it was, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch it. Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, and I was just like, yeah, like, you know what? Like I, I kind of knew that at the beginning of it, you know, but like, it's like, you can't go in with a technical mind about it first. Like, Oh, we're gonna, you know, we're going to have this shot and we're going to shoot it in this way. And it's going to like, that's great. But the story has got to be first and foremost. Yeah. Like if like, it's, it's a storytelling medium. Yeah. You know, and to, and to say that that's not the most important thing going into it is lunacy. Mm-hmm. Absolute lunacy. No, it's, you know, a story, I mean, story is everything. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's so important. I definitely learned that as a director. I mean, I directed one project where, you know, this, the story was not super strong. Well, it was, it wasn't, it was just, yeah. I mean, in in a way it wasn't super strong because there's certain things that weren't worked out in a certain way, you know? And, uh, um, the problem was, is like, as an audience member, it didn't matter how you shot it. It didn't matter how good the performance was, which it didn't matter how great the cinematography were, which all were great in my opinion. Like, and I'm not just saying it pat myself on the back. I'm actually saying like everybody went balls to wall. They did everything to make this film great. Yeah. But you know, just at the end of the day, like people weren't getting really the, the message of the story. And I remember in our initial meetings and saying stuff like, yeah, like this movie is not, it's not going to be an audience pleaser. You know what I mean? It's just not like people are not going to, you know what I mean? And, and it just, you know, I think that it's, it's one thing to say that your audience pleases, like it pleases your audience. It's another thing to have a story though, that has a certain kind of well-craftedness where you start somewhere the character evolves into something and there's some type of message or something you walk away from the theater going either I feel something or I'm thinking something or, or yeah. something like happened. And there's a way in which the, the film gave you enough to piece that together. But if you walk away and you don't have enough to piece together and I mean, we, we tried and, and, uh, you know, and I was, I was a lot younger when I, when I did that, but it was an interesting experience for me because 
I kind of knew enough about film to knew that that would happen. Yeah. But nobody could really save it. You know, once the script's kind of there, it's like, there's no real way, like, and we all, we all helped it. We even added a couple little bit scenes in there on shooting, you know, just like, okay, well it's just kind of help fill in a couple gaps here. And it just, you know, it wasn't enough. There needed to be a little more thought behind the script. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so, it's so key. And I mean, like there's like, even that it's one of those almost like running jokes in, in, you know, the industry, you know, that it's like they're, the writers are some of like the lowest paid, but everyone agrees that they contribute the most important part. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in Deadpool at the the opening credits where it's just like, you know, the writers and then it says the real heroes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just mentioned that to me today and yeah. I laughed about it. It was so funny. But like it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know, how you've shot it. You could have like the most impeccably shot film ever, but if the story's not interesting, no one's gonna give a shit. Mm-hmm nobody's going to care that, you know, you shot it in this way. And this, you know, like, like if, if I, if, um, Oh, what was the, the Leo movie? This is the revenant, you know, it's like beautifully shot movie, but like, you know, it, it had like a good story that was going on and a very sort of like low key story, but you know, a very subtle story, but one that had weight to it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if, if it didn't have that kind of weight, didn't, wouldn't really necessarily matter. You would have gone, Oh yeah, that was, that was interesting to look at, Mm -hmm. but man, it was, it was painful to watch. It was kind of painful to watch actually, but in a different way, (laughs) it was painful to watch. And because of how much like you were just kind of engrossed in it. Yeah. They were trying to get you to feel the pain that he was going through and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, story, story is an interesting thing too, because, you know, there's some stories which are kind of pedestrian, you know, there's some stories that are just like, I mean, so what you tell that story, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, you can, you can be a great storyteller and you can, you can put it together in a, in a fantastic way, but you know, it's, it's kind of true. Like, so what, like who, who cares (laughs) if this story is told or not, you know what I mean? And I can tell you this for sure, because you know, after going to like an AFM for like five or six years in a row and just hearing pitch after pitch after pitch people, you know, and, and, uh, there's so many times where you're listening to the story and you're like, well, it's well put together, but you're like, so what? Like, so what if this story is told or not? You know what I mean? And I think that <clears throat> there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's sometimes where people are telling a story that's already been told and they're, they're, there's not this originality to it. Like you can tell a story, like that's the thing I like about man up, right? This movie I'm talking about, right? It's, it's a, okay. Blind date guy and a girl. Will they get together at the end of the day? Whatever. Right. So we go, we go through it, but what it, the way it's done and, and, <clears throat> and all that, you kind of get, you know, it's, it's a, it's a common story that's been done, but you, you get involved into the story. You know what I mean? Whereas there's other stories and, you know, I'm not even going to be able to think of a name because they're the ones you forget, but there's stories that like, you're like, yeah, but I've already seen all that before. I've already experienced all that. Someone's already done that. You know, there's like, and, and further, it's not even that it's like, 
there's no voice of the artist in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's something like the thing I like about man up, I guess if I was going to bring it all back is that I felt like whoever wrote that script or at least, you know, well, yeah, whoever wrote that script, they, they understood a couple things about what it's like to be dating in your thirties or forties. And like, you know, when everything doesn't work out like Cinderella, you know, where, where the person, the person you thought you were going to be with and thought you would marry and have kids and all that stuff, it doesn't work out. And then who are you then? And then what's your life then? And, and how do you rebuild and how do you, you know, come back at life? And also if all your other friends are married and together and whatever, and you're not, you know, and yeah, that's probably been done before, but they did it. And there's these moments in this movie where you're like, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's what it's like. For example, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to point out one thing, friend. There's this point where he's really upset about something that happened in the past. And she says to him, she's like, it's not that you miss her. It's that you miss the feeling. And I, and, and just this moment where they're like talking and they're bonding. And I was like, that's so true. That's what it's like. It's, it's like, you don't even, it's not, you don't even miss the person. It's that you miss that feeling that you had. And it's really interesting how these characters evolve this whole process, because I mean, I know myself and I know many people who have been in that situation where, you know, it's post breakup or whatever, and you're reeling for a little bit of time and you're trying to figure out like, you don't even want the person back that was there. It's like, it's not even about that, but it's like, but like somehow life is just kind of on this weird kind of, you know what I mean? And anyway, it just had a lot of truth about that. Whereas I I just go, yeah, well, as someone who's experienced that before, that is, this isn't just a comedy. This is like kind of what it's really like in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, that's, and we talk about this so often. It's just like, you know, what does that look like? What does that really look like? Let's get beyond the cliches and the, and you know, the short film that I was talking with, like there, this was another thing that I had about it where I was just like, you know, it's the story was, was there to fit the technical way in which they wanted to do it. And because the story was, was just riddled with cliche. It was just like, and, and it did not pass that. So what test. And it's funny because Jeff Kitchen, uh, in his, uh, book, how to write a great movie, he talks about that, like his, so what test, Mm. you know, why is this important? Like, why is it, why is it important that this character do this? You know, like it's, and, and he has a whole point in like, you know, addressing certain things in your story, you know, like to, to say, it's like, okay, what makes this compelling? And it was just like, oh, this is just, you know, there was, there was no original voice really that, that I felt that was in it. You know, it was, it was, and that, and which is, which is sad because it's just like, you know, who, whoever had written the script, you know, it's like nobody, they obviously, they don't write it to be that way. They want it to be that way, right? They want it to be something that's original and from the heart, but you know, you have to, there's an amount of courage and vulnerability that you have to have, you know, to reveal yourself within your writing, you know, and, but that's, but that's the thing, like in, in this movie, and I, I really want to watch this now. Uh, <laughs> Good. Um, sold it well. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, you know, there's these things that, that they just touch upon, upon something you, you watch this scene or, or this, this dialogue, these things, these people are, are saying to each other or, or how they're being with each other. And you're sitting in your chair and you're going, and like, there's like inside, you're just going, yes, yes, yes. I get that. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Like that's, 
Like you understand me, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's a great feeling. Like there was, I had, um, man, we're just plugging, going to be plugging Netflix today. Um, <laughs> not like Netflix needs to be plugged, <laughs> like selling Netflix to people. Um, but there was, uh, in their series, master of none, uh, with the Z's Ansari. Uh, you know, there was some stuff, especially like towards the end of that season when it was getting into some of the relationship stuff. Like for me, I've been in a relationship now, like, uh, you know, been with my fiance Mm. for, for a little over four years now. And there were certain things about the way that they were with each other, the way that they would disagree with each other and like try and sort things out or, you know, kind of screw up. Right. And I, I was just watching it and I was going like, Oh yes. Yes. Like someone's finally like showing it for what it is. You know, it's not some, you know, like I get so irritated when I see some sort of some ridiculous squabble unfold in a movie or a TV (laughs) show where it's just like, how can these people be so dense? You know, it's just like, and I'm just like, that's not real to me. Like, that's just, like you, it, you took an easy way out. It was like somebody like made a little screw up and now somebody's flying off the handle, you know? And it's can like, you, that's not the can way you explain because uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I understand. Like, for mean. example, um, like couple, well, cause like, this is like a date movie that you're talking about or, or dating movie in man okay. up. Right. All right if it's this thing where it's like, there's this couple and they've been together for a little while and one of them forgets that it's their anniversary and, or doesn't buy like buy the other person a gift. And now, and it usually happens. The man forgets, Mm -hmm. right. And then the woman loses her shit (laughs) and she's just like, you don't care about me. I can't believe you did this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I immediately go, I hate both of these characters, (laughs) please split up. (laughs) I don't want to see this go anywhere because it's just like, I mean, I suppose that that does happen, but for the most part, it's, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's always a set. There's that first, that thing of like, I've seen this how many times before? Yeah. Like how many times have you seen that scenario unfold in, in a show? Well, a lot, a lot, a lot. So it's just like, I'm just so like you, it's just so tiring. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, well you could take that same thing. You know, it's like where this guy forgets or something. Maybe guy does like, it does happen. I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen, but take it a different direction. You know, like if I know if I forgot our anniversary, my partner isn't going to just lose it. You know, like it, it would probably turn into a funny thing, you know, like, but it's just like, show me something that's real. Like, don't like, it's, it's lazy when you start to just be okay with cliches. Yeah. You know, one of the things that always bothers me about all these rom-com movies and stuff, it's always like the cheater and like, you know, is like the bad, the bad guy or the bad girl or whatever. It's like, you know, if somebody... If <laughs> I'm not here to like support cheating, I don't think that's good, and and I don't think people should do that. But usually, if someone does, usually there's some stuff that's been going on. Yeah. Either you your relationship has been really toxic or whatever, and that person's looking for condolence or some type of solace somewhere else, I guess, right? 
or that person was already kind of like messed up and like needed that in their life regardless. And you're trying to maybe make them into someone or pretend they're someone that they're not. So, yeah. but, but in movies, they make it so black and white so many times where it's like, Oh, well this person is just a bad person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, it's just like, it's never that simple. No. Like it's absolutely never that simple. So it's refreshing when a movie actually goes, it's not that simple. Let's, let's actually do this in a creative way where, you know, where, where things kind of happen a certain way, you know, I say like, man, up, not perfect necessarily, but there's a couple things that they did in the movie where I was like, I was like, Whoa, this isn't supposed to happen. Like right now, I was yeah. like, like from like someone who breaks down story all the time where they break the, they break the traditional stories. Um, they didn't break the structure. They actually honored the structure absolutely perfectly. But what they did do was they altered the events and they, and they went against what normal rom-coms do. And you'll know when you see it, you'll yeah. know the big one for sure. And you'll be like, what, whoa, this is happening. And you're like, and it, it's so perfect. Like the fact that they did it actually made the movie so much better. And yeah. in fact, I think it was probably that moment from that moment, once that happened and they changed the paradigm that the movie got like substantially even better because now I was like, Oh, this is untreaded territory. I've never been here before. Cause every other movie like ends here. This movie like yeah. starts here. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. And it's that whole thing about like, start your movie in the middle, you know, or start it at the end of your movie. Like take your movie. Like this is one thing like right now, actually. And I think I talked about this before, but with like the burning blues is like, take the whole movie you've written and almost make the ending your beginning. You know what I mean? And now let's tell the story about what happens after that, because everything everybody's been talking about and has been told before is what's happened before that. And, and when I saw this movie man up, I was like, yeah, cause this is one of the first movies I've seen where I got to see what happens after, you know, what happens yeah. after this event. Um, and it just makes that really good, you know? And, you know, I'm realizing more and more, like if, if, I mean, there's, I think people can, and this is one thing I don't like, cause I mean, I teach story structure, but, but sometimes people say like, Oh, a story structure is like paint by numbers or whatever, but it's like, no, it's not paint by numbers. Paint by numbers is, um, every movie kind of works out the same way and you play out that pattern the same way. Structure is you need to have a high and you need to have a low here or whatever that it needs to happen to give context to what's going on. That's it. We don't say you need to have this high or you need to have that low. It's just like a roller coaster. Like if we're not going up and down, we're going flat line and we're might as well be on the train. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we're on a, we're, we need to go up and down period. That that's what structure is. You need to go up and down, whatever. And, and there's it, so much that you can do within right. that and the up and the down, whether, you know, whatever, I mean, how it's done can be totally different. And this movie does the up and down in a great way, but it does them different. So it's not like, Oh, I've done this up and down before. Now I'm like, I know we're going up and down. I know we're going to, we're about to do that. I, I, I know, cause I know a story, but I don't know yeah. how we're going up and down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of neat. Yeah. I, I want to, uh, bring something back, uh, to, you know, you were talking about, you know, uh, audience pleasing an audience and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I can, when you talk about audience pleasing, I can hear people groaning on the other <laughs> end. Right. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that I want to, and we'll let's, we'll put a link into this, uh, on the, on the blog page. Uh, but to, uh, to Jeff kitchen and, and his book, how to write a great movie. You know, he talks about one of the first things 
when you when you start writing a script, it's like one of the first things that you need to you need to tell yourself or you need to answer is how like when when the audience walks out of the theater, what what is it that you want them to feel when they're walking out? It's an important thing. And so it's not necessarily about pleasing, but it's like, what is the effect? What is the effect that you want to have on the audience? Like, like, because it is for an audience. Otherwise you're just making it for yourself, which means it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like then, then it just becomes really, I don't know, self gratifying and, and probably quite narcissistic. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, you know, art is, I feel like it needs to navigate that, that space of, of being shared, of being communicated and people being able to understand it. Mm Um, you know, and so that's why, you know, it's so important that you have some sort of a message and some sort of an idea of what that, what it is that you're trying to share, how you want that to affect your audience. You know, how, how is it that you want people to receive it Mm -hmm. and walk away from it? You know? Yeah. And you can break down, you can break down probably any, any great piece of, of art, you know, whether that is, you know, painting or music or film or theater or, you know, just about anything. Like there is, there is some sort of an effect. You can even put this into business, you know, business is a very creative thing, you know, and you know, there's just this kind of a different language for it. Yeah. But it's like, how do you like, how do you want your, your market to, to respond to what you're, to what you're doing. What are you delivering? What are you delivering? I mean, everybody, you know, everybody's buying something for, they, they expect to be delivered something, you know, and it might not look exactly or feel exactly the way that you thought it was going to be, but you know, you're going to get something that is kind of saying, you know, this will have a result, you know, this will have a certain, you know, I think there's certain types of, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, just if we're talking about movies, I mean, there's certain movies, like you look at like, uh, Batman, Superman, right. Uh, my friend calls it B versus S or BBS. BBS. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen Batman it yet, but Superman. I'm not going to ruin it. Don't worry. But, um, is that, <clears throat> you know, that movie has a certain amount of like, you need to be wowed. That's one of the expectations that need yeah. to be met. So if you're well, the action needs to be like through the roof. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's kind of like Batman versus Superman, <laughs> you know, it's gotta have to be. So in, in a certain way, that's what that needs to deliver, you know? So as long as it delivers that, that that's fine. You know what I mean? If we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about something else, like not every movie gets the luxury of having Batman and Superman in the title. Not every movie are people going in to be wowed with. You got to kind of understand like, what are people going in to see this movie for? You know what I mean? And, uh, for example, people who see, uh, like movies in, in film festivals, they don't necessarily want to be wowed as much as they want to be moved. They want to be, you know, they want something that which is a wow of sorts. Well, okay. You can call that a wow, <laughs> but it's a different type of wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? So anyway, every movie has a different type of demand to deliver, but just like business, 
you know, if you order something online and you expect a certain delivery, you expect to get, you don't expect them to be like, Oh, by the way, we, we thought about you and we looked at your customer profile and we decided that we would give you something else other than what you ordered because we just thought this would be better for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be like, what the hell is this? I wanted the thing I ordered. You know what I mean? So there's a certain amount of like story, like story has structures, whatever, but they, it has to deliver certain things, you know? And sometimes it delivers plus. I think that's yeah. the point. You know, I think it delivers what it's supposed to, but then it delivers something else on top of that. And you're yeah. like bonus. <laughs> well, my dad, who's uh, who teaches entrepreneurship, like yeah. he, he says one of his like big rules of, of running a business is under promise over deliver. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's a good point. Yeah. I think that's why movies that get super amped up, sometimes they struggle because people go, oh, that wasn't so great because they had this built up in their head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, someone like J.J. Abrams is really kind of brilliant. His whole mystery box concept that, you know, it's really about just like, don't, don't give away anything. Mm-hmm. Don't let people think too much about it at all. Yeah. Like create the, the intrigue but don't really, don't give away the whole, the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, that's the thing, right? I think that's one thing they did really well with uh, Batman versus Superman actually. And I think that's why it did pretty well initially, at least in the box office is they, I remember online, like I wasn't paying close attention to the movie, but I remember them being like, uh, Superwoman might be the actual real hero of the movie. And it's not really about Batman and Superman. There was all these things that were going around where you didn't really know like, what's this movie actually going to be like? I guess yeah. if you're like a total like fanboy type person, you know, you're totally into this. You probably did enough research where you figured things out, but they did a good job at kind of confusing you. So when I went to see the movie, um, I was like, I don't really know what I'm getting into exactly. Yeah. I know I'm getting into kind of a wow factor, Batman versus Superman, but I didn't know how this was going to go. And, um, I think the thing that sold me was that, there was this one trailer they did where they were basically talking about, it was just really kind of focused on Superman being this false God. And, and, uh, yeah, I think and, that was one of the first trailers that they put out. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and Batman was basically going to do something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was really all you kind of knew. But to me, I was like, that actually sounds kind of interesting because I have this like kind of like love hate relationship with Superman uh, I mean, I've always kind of liked Batman because I think he's very like, there's really like a human. There's he's very flawed. He's yeah. very motivated from a flawed place. He's got a lot of places to grow. Whereas Superman's kind of like perfect, but they did Man of Steel, which I didn't mind too much. And then this, which they kind of the idea of him being flawed makes him really really interesting, especially because you know he's the Man of Steel. He's so perfect. You know yeah. What I mean? Which, which was kind of interesting. So in some ways, oh, I think it kind of worked. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I, I'm still setting myself up with kind of like low expectations for it. There's been so many mixed things about it that I'm like, I'm, I'm going to see it because the spectacle of it is just too much. It's a spectacle. That's the right word. Yeah. It's just too much for me to pass up. There's some things in it. I'll have to say like, you know, I'm just going to say on this podcast, there's some things you're like total cliche, but, right. but you almost, because of the nature of the movie, it's almost like it's okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's that kind of movie can get away with it in a way because, and I'm not saying that 
it could have been done better because it probably like without those cliches it would have been better yeah but you know you're like whatever I'll forgive it I get what I get what it does and yeah you know what I mean what its uh, function is yeah. yeah yeah it's it's you know but you know it's interesting right like I mean they they you know what I what I like is here's some things they did Batman in a way that you never seen Batman done before right you know what I mean which was cool you know they did some things that you never seen done before so there's a kind of uh and that's you know sometimes for me that's enough yeah it's like well you know what you gave me something I've never seen before mm-hmm. you know regardless of what I thought of it it was something I've never seen before right yeah you know, it's interesting. I was going to share this earlier in the podcast. Uh, I got hired to write another script uh, feature, and uh, it's paid gig and stuff. And um, pretty good upfront fee, whatever. But it's interesting because it's based on a true story. Basically, all I get hired for is either it's either based on a true story or it's a sci-fi. Right. It's usually three to one. Three sci-fis to one <laughs> true story. But I love the, the true story thing. The adaptation is amazing. But the producers are like, Oh, it's just like this other movie. I'm not going to say it right now because I probably premature to get into it, but they're like, it's just like this other movie, but better. I was like, okay. I'm like, okay. Sean, yeah. Put yeah. that out of your brain. Yeah. There's a little some bit. similarities, but I was like, I've been thinking about it cause we're, we're about to start, like it's about to get pretty intense with the writing for that one. And, uh, I was thinking about, it, I'm like, yeah, but Okay, great. That's good reference. But I'm like, I need to figure out a way to do this where this type of story has never been told before where, because the events are different, right? Their events are different than anyone's ever seen before, but I need to figure out a way to do it where you would be like, if this happened, I never really thought about it that way. And it's been interesting because I've been meeting with the, you know, the person, um, who it's based on and all that stuff. And and it's really interesting because I'm, and, and I'm just like, yeah, like I want to get to know you. I want to get to, I want to, I want you to tell me what you, what you think about these people that were involved, you know, show me pictures, do this because I want to get in there and I want to find something. Cause I feel like if I dig far enough in and like when we had our initial meetings, uh, I, w- I was like, um, I was already digging out stuff that like, I felt like this would be really cool. Like I've never seen a movie quite go into this side of the stuff, you know what right. I mean? And, and, um, and it's really, it's a really fascinating process. It's like, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the most experienced at adaptation, but yeah, uh, from a true story, but, um, I'm kind of becoming more and more so, but it's, a, uh, it's, it's really cool because there's this, the more truthful I find almost you get into the life of the person the more original it becomes ironically because well, it makes sense because no one's life is just like anyone else's life. And I think I'm pretty good at like kind of stepping back from like seeing one story and like making it this story. Yeah. But like hearing what, what this person has to say about these events. And it's like, Oh, that's really interesting because creates this whole new dynamic to the whole thing. Yeah. Everyone has their own unique experience of life. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in this, Oh, well, you know, what we think is interesting or what you think that people will like. It's just like people like the truth. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what people like. People enjoy that. So put the end you know, like sometimes people think it's like, it's like, Oh, everything's been told. Like there's like, there's no original ways to, well, the, obviously that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's obviously not true. There might be some common themes to things, but 
you know, even just the small, like sometimes just these small details, you alter something is altered in this little way from what you would normally expect. And it changes the course of everything. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have people. I, 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 it doesn't always have to be some sort of big earth shattering, like, you know, twist and like M night Shyamalan twist ending, <laughs> you know, like it's, it can be something so small. Yeah. You know, that like doesn't even happen at the end. You know, it can happen midway through. It could happen early on. And it's just like, whoa, like I've, and now suddenly you're like, you know, this is familiar, but I still like, this is, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. Well, that's, you know, that's the thing that I've been realizing. I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I think of it like universe or God or something's like hitting me over the head with it. But going like, what if you started a movie where most movies end? Cause that's what most people don't get to see. What if you started the movie there? And what if you made a story out of what happens after the fact? Like, and someone on the other side of this, just, I'm, I'm telling you, just pick an idea that's been done a thousand times, but start at the end of it, you know, make that the movie because no one tells that story. Yeah. Like what is Cinderella's life after the fact? That's more interesting. That's cool. You know, the whole yeah. thing. About- that would be super interesting. What is a, like, girl has been treated as a, as a peasant now, like, as a princess wife, <laughs> yeah. like, living with a man for the first time who's also a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's something Whoa. interesting in that, right? Like, it's new. It's different. And I think that, like, this whole idea that all these stories have been told, no, they haven't, because... We, we tell stories a certain way, very commonly, and we very rarely tell the story after the story. We, we, we've, we've been indoctrinated into a life up to this point where it's happily ever after for the most part. And now the world's going, well, maybe it's not so happy. But why don't we tell the not so happy life afterwards? You know, why don't we, why don't we make movies about that stuff? And you know what? I think that movies are going to start doing that. You know, I think that the, the, the really forward thinking storytellers are starting to think, you know, what happens after all this stuff? Like, like, um, you know, and, and, and it doesn't have to be in the same genre. Like for example, take the movie Die Hard. I'm just picking one randomly out of the air, but I love Die Hard. So why not? That's weird. I would like just moments ago, I was thinking about Die Hard. Well, perfect. <laughs> why were you thinking Die Hard? Um, I'm so curious. You know what? I can't even retrace it back at this moment, well, but okay, yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking Bruce Willis, Die Hard. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I think about Die Hard all the time, you know? But it's anyway, an action classic. You could do a drama about their life after what happened in this event, right? What if, like, and I mean, it maybe didn't work out quite like Die Hard, but he, you know, there was a moment where they were divorced and whatever, and they were split up and there is this thing and there's really crazy past history. Right. And I'm not talking about Die Hard too, but I'm talking about a totally different genre. Yeah. And, and no one's ever seen Die Hard one. You have to imagine, right. But you created this story previously, but you started the movie in a different genre from that place. What would that be like? You know, that could be unique because not many people are telling that story is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And I mean, because, you know, you have to, you remember, like, you have to break the idea that, that Die Hard was told through the filter of an action movie. Yeah. But imagine Die Hard was told through the filter of a drama, right? Where 
the person was literally crawling through grass, glass to save his wife, and he literally, like, was the only person in this building, and you know, to basically yeah. do that, right? But it was a drama, not, and I know it's hard to break it, because it's so, like, iconic in our minds, but then you start a movie after that, and you don't even really talk about or show flashbacks to what happened. It's just something that had happened, and people refer back to this, like, what would his life have been like? You know, what would she talk about to her friends? You know, what would, yeah. what would people in like Los Angeles area talk about, about this event? You know, what would the police force talk about? I mean, apparently I think in the story he was a New York cop and then he joined the LA force or something afterwards because yeah. he started to get back with his wife. So what if that actually happened? You know, you start telling that story. That's interesting. No one knows oh, that yeah. story, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, like, well, what if you did a movie <laughs> about, like, Alonso, like, before before the start of Training Day? So good, right? right? Oh, yeah. And you take it before. <laughs> it's There's like, oh, someone's like, it. oh, we should do it. Except it's like, Denzel's too old now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get, you know, get yeah, the get guy a new from, actor. Get the guy from, you know who would be good? Um, from Creed. Um, from Creed. Um, exactly. Um, who's Michael Jordan's kid. Michael Jordan. Uh, uh, his last name is Jordan. Oh, what is his first name? Isn't it Michael? Is not Michael Jordan? No. <laughs> he has something Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta look it up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he would be good. You know, if yeah, I, I don't know what, I don't know, but seeing actually, I, I really like that actor. But actually, that would be cool. You know, making Training Day before. Oh, it is Michael. Michael B. Jordan. Michael He's, he B. Puts, Jordan. There he puts go. the uh, the initial in there. I knew it was Michael. You 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 said Jeez. no. I was just like <laughs> he's like what Michael Jordan's kid's gonna be named Michael. <laughs> but I guess he Michael Jordan was like the greatest ever. So what do you do after that, right? <laughs> it's like might as well name the kid yeah. after the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> he's still the best. <laughs> So, um, yeah. Why don't so, you tell me about this beer? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> you weren't expecting that. I was not expecting that. That was a surprise. So, this is another Brass Neck Brewery special. Mm. Yeah. And they keep changing it up, so I was like, I was kind of cross for my local breweries, but today I decided Brass Neck because I was like, you know, they keep changing it up, and I'm really like, I'm just going to go with it because I, I don't even know what I'm going to show up and see today. So, yeah. I was like, that's cool. Um, so I'm not saying that I don't like there's certain other breweries that are around that have a certain consistency and I love their consistency. You know what I mean? I love the beers that they have, but today I was going to, I wanted to try something adventurous. I want to try something new. So brass neck wins. Um, but this one's called massive aggressive, not to be confused with passive. Aggressive, yes. <laughs> because there's also another beer called passive aggressive, but <laughs> this massive aggressive is a obviously very hoppy beer. Um, and it's an eight percenter and it's, um, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's also a little more expensive of the beers. So, you know, you're, you're paying that and a half pretty much for a normal one, but, uh, yeah, I'm finding it's really good. I mean, I'm not usually, I actually never choose really hoppy beers, but I went in and I tried this one and I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And I've been kind of venturing out of my safety zone yeah. say comfort zone of beers right and yeah this is really good i actually um i really enjoyed it and i think this is a it, you know that's the thing it's supposed to be aggressively hoppy which is funny because i'm not like usually into hops but 
And it is, but you know what? It's actually a really, it's a really smooth IPA. Yeah. Because sometimes I find that IPAs can be like, after you've had, had like a half a glass of it, you're just like, can't wait to be done with this because this is just too much for Mm -hmm. me at this point. But, uh, we're on our, our second, second glass here now. Yeah. We're on our second and a half. And man, this is, uh, (laughs) This is going. This is going down <laughs> with no problem at all. Yeah, some massive aggressive is a winner, I think, on this. Uh, so by the end of this, I know podcast, I already like slurred a word earlier. <laughs> it's a good thing we sit for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, that's one thing I do like about Brassneck is like uh, they they keep changing it up. So I I keep feeling like I keep wanting to try. And they are one of those breweries that I, I pretty much trust that I can just get anything like that. I could just blindly like point at something and (laughs) I will not dislike what I have. Yeah. They are, they are one of those breweries for me. And I consistently hear from, from people uh, because Vancouver, we have a lot of, like, there's a lot of people who come <clears throat> and visit here, a lot of tourists and stuff, and and they come here and they want to check out because of all the craft breweries and stuff, and I consistently hear people who, you know, make a point of visiting a lot of them mm-hmm. uh, say that Brassneck is one of their absolute favorites, yeah. if not their favorite in the city. Mm-hmm. So that's not to take anything away. Like, I love so many of the breweries in this town, but, you know, as far as consistency goes, I think Brassneck is absolutely one of the best. Consistency with like totally different beers too. Yeah, you know, like they, they have a few that kind of reoccur a, a bit, but like it's always changing up. I mean, it's it's kind of always an adventure. I, I like that element of it. Yeah. Plus, by the way, they have really great beef jerky or whatever the like sausage. Yeah, sausages. They, you kind of do that with your beer. It's like, yeah, beer has sausage <laughs> jerky. <laughs> They also do like little like don't they do like little like cheesy baked things in there too? Yeah, or? they do like some like cheese baked bread. A few of the breweries do that too, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a few other good little bites that some of these other breweries have. Yeah. Or they'll have, do the food trucks outside. Yeah, I love that. Stuff. I love the food trucks. Yeah. So you know that's another good thing. I mean, they just kind of they they do all the right things. Keep you there. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Um, well. Yeah. We've so, talked about beer. Yeah, we talked about beer. We've, We've talked, talked about story. So, well, I mean, okay, then let's, uh, I mean, let's wrap it up. Okay. Why don't we, uh, what's, um, I mean, what do you get from all this talking we did today, Evan? Um, man, story is, story is still king. And I think that that doesn't necessarily only apply to like, you know, uh, of course, like we, we talk very much about film and theater and, you know, screenwriting. But I, I think that, that that all still applies within within music and in in other art forms, whether you're, a, you know, a painter, a sculptor, a, you know, there's a story to be told in, in what we do. And, and that's always the most important. The technical things are, are always secondary always secondary to that because the ultimately it's about communicating something about the human experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and everything needs to serve that. And, and also 
I think also that, um, oh, I had something else and now it's escaped me. This, this massive aggressive IPA. <laughs> well, why don't you say a few things and if it comes back to me, I'll pipe back in. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, well, I think the thing that I, you know, and this is, I don't know if this is so much from the podcast, but just something that's kind of been, I've been kind of confronted with, it seems like over and over. And, uh, again, as you know, I'm like, stories my life. So I'm always trying to find ways to tell better stories. But I really think that if I could leave any storytellers with, uh, if anything is like, tell the story that isn't being told, tell the story that like, is after the fact or before the fact. I really love how you brought up the idea of what happened before training day. Like what was, you know, cause they refer to events in that movie that almost seems like a whole movie that could have occurred before. Yeah. And then, you know, just, you know, I'm working with one, uh, one person in one of my courses, we're doing the proof course, right. But they're, they have this idea, which is like, it's like a universe inside a universe inside a universe, but you only think it's like, you don't even realize how many levels down you're going. Like it's almost like an inception or something, Yeah. but it's brilliant. And you're like, cause nobody's telling that story. Nobody's telling the story. That's like, you know, it's not the obvious one. It's the one that you're not thinking about. It's the one that happened before or after or whatever. And I think that if, uh, if you're writing a story, whatever your idea is right now, if it sounds like it's been done before, do what happens after it or do what happens before it. I think that's a really great way to start being more original. Yeah. Because, you know, like for example, you and I wrote the graduation thing tag or whatever, right? Yeah. What happens after that? Or what happened before that in a sense is more interesting because everybody tells the graduation story. Everybody tells the, you know, and so it's really interesting when things turn. I don't know. I think that, I think if I'm going to leave anybody with anything from this and, and, uh, and it's not just from this podcast, but just from like what I keep getting back is like, tell that story that isn't being told, tell that before or after part. And you can find that sometimes it's more interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Challenge yourself to, to really find, find the truth of a situation, you know, like, don't like, don't fall into the trap of like, well, this is what's been done. And, and, you know, this is like what people want to see. People want to see whatever the truth is. And that usually means that you've got to, you've got to break beyond what people have seen before and, and go beyond the, those cliches. Um, yeah. I th- the last sort of thing that I wanted to, to add into this is that like, you know, with this, with this experience of seeing this thing that I was, you know, I had a small, small part of, but, you know, and, and going to, and, and knowing a lot of the people that were involved with it. And it was just, you know, for me, the disappointment was in this, like, I know that it was capable of being so much more. And I don't think, I don't know if those people realize that it was, Mm -hmm. you know, if maybe you don't consider yourself to be, you know, a great storyteller. Maybe you don't challenge yourself, challenge yourself. Don't let whatever it is that you're putting out there, because if you're putting in, you're putting in enough work as it is, if you've decided to to go into, you know, shooting a short film in this instance, right? Like don't, don't sell yourself short. You, I guarantee you've got something to say that no one has ever heard quite like your voice will tell it. 
Right. Challenge yourself and, and trust that, that you have something. You know, when, and when you say like people, people want the truth, I really think like what you mean is like people want a truth. They want your truth. Yes. You know, because there is no, there is no truth. Like there's no truth that we as human beings at least could know for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, we can have faith and then we can believe in stuff and we can say, well, you know, that is the truth, but we don't really know beyond a shadow yeah. of a doubt for sure. And I think that your truth, your belief, your idea, your observation of how the world works, you know, and I think the thing is, is like, I think the thing is, is people almost shut down their truth because they adopt someone else's truth. Yeah. You know we don't I mean? think that it's valid. I guess, I guess I should say I do. I mean, we all do, you yeah. know, and that's when I get into contrived ideas is like, I've adopted someone else's idea of what's true. Yeah. Whereas we doubt what, ourselves. We think it's like, Oh, what I have to say isn't important. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Like every important thing that anyone has ever said came from them. Like just purely they express this thing you know, and you know, some people it might rub the wrong way, but other people might do what we were talking about and go, yes, yes. Yeah. I get that. I understand you. So take that chance, take that chance. Cause like dare to be great as they say. Well, you know, it's, it's totally dare to be great. You know, I was thinking one other thing and I, I just cause I'm not going to remember this for another podcast, but, um, <laughs> spit so, it. Spit so I've it been out. working on, I actually, I'm really, I've just been casually working on, I should say, telling jokes in a way which seem common, but then they're a surprise. Like for example, um, <laughs> you, you very genuinely say, say what you're going to say, but then it has something that is ridiculous at the end. So for example, you'd say something like sometimes the first step to forgiveness is realizing that the other person is an idiot. <laughs> so then by the end of it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like a surprise, you know what I mean? Or, or it's like my mom used to always say to me, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, so the expectation is like, Oh, it's this very genuine soft story or whatever. I'm not doing it perfect, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You, the way you tell a story, you, everyone has expectation already built in, right? use that expectation against them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a brilliant kind of way to, to totally twist us. It doesn't have to be funny. It can be something else, but yeah, because when we like, we all know what goes up must get high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't expect it yeah. to, you don't expect the, 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 the turn to be something else. So what I'm yeah. saying is like, I think, Oh, Someone's playing some music. Yeah. Yeah. I like that groove. Yeah. All right. Good. So anyway, my point is you, you're saying, tell the story that isn't being told, tell the story that everyone thinks you're telling, but then turn it the other way. I think that's what man up did. And I want to recommend everyone watch that movie just to see like, cause that's a good example of taking something that's quite simple and just kind of, you know, trying something new, which was kind of cool. Yeah. That's all I got to say, Evan. Great. Yeah. I think you fleshed it out nicely there at the end. Thanks. So until next time. Until next time. 
That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.